You're listening to the weekly podcast of Citizens Church with Pastor Chris Norman. For more information on the work that God is doing through Citizens Church, please visit us online at citizenschurch.org. Well, everybody, you ready to get in God's Word today? Because I have, I have so much to cover this morning, and um, you're going to see me lean into a little bit of my... Uh, uh, my, I have, I have a teachy mode. I have a preachy mode. This is my teachy preachy mode because we got a lot of teach, and then uh, and then at the end we'll get into some preach. And and um, you know we love God's word around Citizens Church. Amen. Amen. Uh, amen? amen. Amen. And so if you've been around here at all, what you discover, what you've probably realized is that we actually approach the teaching of God's word in in several different ways. Sometimes we'll go through uh, topical. We'll hit some topics. Sometimes we'll hit. Um, We'll cover a passage of scripture. Sometimes we go through whole books. We've gone through Ephesians. We've gone through Jonah. We've gone through. I just love going through books of the Bible. And sometimes we'll we'll cover just a section of God's word. But the big thing is is that we are always in God's word. Amen. Like God's word is the foundation. We build our lives upon God's word. I was. I want you to understand this. At, at Citizens Church, we hold God's word in a, it, as as authority. We believe that God's word is the authoritative word of God. In other words, we submit to God's word. We don't submit God's word to us. It, God's word edits me. I don't edit it. Right? Amen. I I I hold His word in in high esteem and high value. And so we study, and we want to know what God has said to us through His through His word. So no matter what we're doing, we're always going to be in God's word. Amen. Amen. All right. So what we're going to do over the next seven weeks together, someone say seven. Over the next seven weeks together is actually we're going to open our Bibles up to a book of the Bible that everyone kind of either gets really scared over or they have a whole lot of charts and and uh, like timelines and everything like posted up in their wall over. And that's the book of Revelation. Okay. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn over the book of Revelation this morning. And here's what we're going to do in this in this series the book of Revelation, we're going to study seven churches. It's the seven churches of, of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation 1, 2, and 3 over the, next seven, over the next seven weeks. And in this section of Revelation, there's, there's seven letters written to seven churches. Someone say seven. Seven letters to seven churches. And each of them have really, really practical application for us today as a church and us as, as individuals. And so I want you to lean in over the summer to what it is, watch, that, that God is saying to the churches. And I'll talk a little bit about why that's important, why I believe what we're reading actually applies to where we are, where we are today. And so, um, book of Revelation, book of Revelation. It's Revelation, by the way, not Revelations. Okay, everyone says Revelation. There's one Revelation, and that Revelation is, is from Jesus to us. So the book of Revelation, for those of you who, I mean, we got to have, we got to have context. We got to have context. We got to have context, um, who it was written by, where it was written, all of that. Um, the book of Revelation is actually a letter. It's the longest letter in the New Testament. It's written by John. It was written about 96 AD. And the church during this time is under intense persecution, massive persecution, all of the apostles but John have been martyred for their faith at this point, okay? Um, and according to Eusebius's history, uh, Eusebius was a, a, a secular historian who wrote about church history. According to Eusebius, the Roman government actually tried to martyr John, John, who wrote the book of Revelation. They actually tried to boil him, he says, they tried to boil him in oil. And because um, they had all sorts of crazy ways they were martyring the, the apostles. And when they went to boil him in oil, it just wasn't working. And uh, they couldn't figure it out. They got a little scared, like they couldn't kill, kill John. And so they decided to exile John to the island of, of Patmos. Patmos is about 70 miles south of Ephesus. And um, it's, a, it's a small, rocky, nothing grows there. It's actually a rock quarry, 10 miles long by seven miles wide. And out in the middle of nowhere, it's, it's like the Roman Alcatraz, right? Have you ever, you've ever visited Alcatraz or been to Alcatraz? This is, what, uh, this is what this island is like. And so they decide to send, send John to, to Alcatraz, to Patmos, which is like an Alcatraz. John was in Alcatraz? I can see it now, that clip. And I'm a, I'm a heretic. Here we go. Ready? 
and it's there that, that John writes the book of, of Revelation. And so the letters that we're going to study are in chapter, start in chapter two, where he starts to, Spirit of God through John, Revelation to John starts to speak to these seven churches. That, that all starts in chapter two. But to help us understand this book, Revelation, and the importance of what we're about to read in chapter two, you need to understand what's happening in chapter one. And now, first service, you're my guinea pig. So there's so much in chapter one, um, and I'm trying to decide how much to do and not do before we get over to chapter two, where we bring some application and look at this first church, Ephesus. So just hang with me. I'll try not to go forever, but I just love this stuff. I love God's word and I, I want you to see it. Is that all right? So here's what happens in, in chapter one. If you have your Bibles, open Revelation chapter one. Uh, it gives us this, this context for kind of understanding everything else we're about to read. And so here's a couple of things I want you to see. Revelation chapter one, verse one, and I don't have my slides up. That's awesome. So I'm gonna read it from here. Go back, I'm go old school paper, everybody. It's one of those mornings. I love it. Gotta, gotta love God's Got to love God's word. Okay, Revelation chapter one, it says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, which God gave him to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Now watch this. Blessed is he who reads these, who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. Verses one through, one through three, a couple things I wanna point out to you. First of all, he says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or if you were to actually look at that word in the Greek, or if you have like an old King James Bible, it says the apocrypha, okay? Or the, the apocalyptic of Jesus Christ. Not the apocrypha, that's different. The apocalyptic of Jesus Christ. The, the word apocalyptic, even when you hear that, you're like, oh my gosh, what is, the apocalypse, right? What is that? Really what the word means is the unveiling it's the removing of the curtain, like something was behind a curtain. It's the removing of the curtain. And what's happening is, is in this book, Revelation, there's a revealing, that's where we get the word, okay, that comes from Jesus. It's, both, it's twofold. It's of Jesus and that it comes from Jesus and it's of Jesus and that it's all about Jesus. Come on, amen? Like, so Jesus is revealing from himself something about himself concerning what the things that must soon take place, the things that will shortly take place. This is an uh, um, apocalyptic writing. It's not the only apocalyptic writing in scripture. There are others. Apocalyptic writing simply is this. It's a, it's a, um, it's a Jewish literature, liter literary um, category where they would use symbolic visions that they get from heaven to reveal perspectives on history so that the, at the present time, we could live life in view of what we know is gonna happen in history. Does that make sense? So what's in an apocalyptic writing? It's a vision from heaven using symbols to help us understand the things that are to come so that we could live today in light of all that is to come. Does that make sense, everybody? So in apocalyptic writing, uh, you'll have like animals will represent different things. Um, numbers will represent different things. And you could actually trace this all throughout scripture. Whenever you, you, you see, uh, you know, like a, a lion in one, one, passage of scripture, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that's Jesus. And you see that lion show up somewhere else. We're like, oh no, it's speaking of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the lion, right? Does that make sense? So these apocalyptic writings, and that's the first thing you need to understand about the book of Revelation is it's these, these pictures given to us that actually are symbolic of a deeper meaning or of uh, meanings or of pictures that are showing us what is to soon take place. And that's what's happening in the book of Revelation. It's apocalyptic writing. Second thing I want you to see in those first couple of verses is he says, blessed are those who read this. Come on, everybody, and pay attention and do it. So get ready, everybody. Buckle up. Because this is one of the only Bible uh, letters, books that start with, hey, you're about to be blessed, right? They all bless us, but Revelation promises you a blessing just for listening, reading, and applying what you're about to read, okay? So you're gonna get blessed. 
It's an apocalyptic writing. You're about to be blessed. And here's the thing I need you to understand as well, is that this letter is sent to seven churches in Asia. John chapter nine, or John chapter one, verses nine through 11 says this, says John writing, says, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos according to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Someone say seven churches. Seven churches, two, and then he names the churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He says, I want you to write down in a book what I'm about to say to seven churches. Now, he names seven churches that are in the province of Asia. It's Asia Minor. But it's really interesting because there's actually more than seven churches in the, in, in the province of Asia Minor. There's a, there's a whole lot of churches. There's the, the Colossian church, there's, there's all sorts of churches. And why is, is John receiving a revelation about just seven of those churches? Someone say seven. Why just seven? Well, remember, this is a apocalyptic writing. And so numbers and pictures are all gonna represent something. And what does seven represent all throughout scripture? Who knows? Seven represents completion or completeness, okay? There's seven days in the Jewish uh, calendar week. There's seven, it's, it's completeness. And so what we know right now, watch, is that Jesus is about to speak to seven churches, or listen, he's about to speak to the entire church, the, the complete church. It's, these seven churches, watch, represent seven actual physical legitimate churches of that day. There was a church in Ephesus. There was a church, right? So it's seven actual churches of that time in Asia. But they also speak to, watch, Jesus is speaking to the churches of all time. You see, this is the little C churches that would make up the capital C church until the end of the age. He is speaking to the complete church. Does this make sense, everybody? Seven churches, seven actual churches of that time, so, but also seven churches of today. Like if you look around today, Jesus is speaking that we're, we're gonna fit into one of these categories and there's something he's gonna have to say to us as a church, our neighbors as a church. This is his revelation to us even today. Why? Because he's speaking to seven, to completeness, to, to the entire church. And we all fall into one of these seven. Does that make sense so far? Others go on to say, and it's really interesting, I'll, I'll point it out as we go along, that Jesus here is actually speaking to different churches within different seasons of the church age. We are living in right now what's called the church age. The church age was initiated at the sending of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. The church was born. The church age is going to continue until the day we are either, we are raptured, the day we go to see Jesus face to face. We're living in this church age, okay? Make sense, everybody? And in that church age, some actually see these seven churches as being seven different ages, seven different periods of the church and what the church was like during those seven different seasons or ages of the church. And so the first one, Ephesus, that we're gonna get to in the second, many say that that is actually a picture of the, of the church of Acts, like where they were. And then you go all the way to the end, the seventh church, which is the the, the seventh church, which is the church of Laodicea, which is the church, the lukewarm church. Come on, some of you know that, the lukewarm, like he says, either be hot or cold, or I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. And some say, well, that's actually the church that we, age that we're living in now. I'll let you decide that. But that, by the way, is the last church in the list of the seven churches in the seven ages. Um, and I'll let you decide whether or not we are up against that last season or not before the Lord comes again. And so some actually see it as a picture of the ages that we would live in within the church age. The fourth thing you need to understand is not only is it literal churches in that time in Asia, not only is it churches today, the seven types of churches around us today, not only is it possibly the seven churches over the different ages of the church age, but also this speaks to, listen, individuals within the church. I think that this is speaking also to uh, types of people within well, what makes up the church? The church is people, amen? 
And people, we find ourselves kind of falling into these, in these different categories within within the church. So here's the point of all this, everybody, is there is so much application in these letters that we're about to read because this is what you are hearing right now is that what would Jesus say to the church? I was like, God, what do you want to say? He's like, here it is. Pay attention to this, amen? And I also want you to see this. This is where I was wondering if I'm going to go into this, I have time for this, but I, I feel like first service, you can hang with me, right? Like, like you need to see who it is that's speaking to G, who it is that's speaking to the church, okay? This is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild, okay? This is not the, like Jesus, like the, the world would paint of Jesus, Jesus, your homeboy, Jesus, whatever you might be thinking of Jesus. Like this is, you know, in the New Testament, uh, uh, gospels, you have Jesus in, in, the, in the flesh before he died and rose again, and you have this picture of Jesus. I'm actually trying to draw Jesus, and some, you get Jesus with a lamb on his shoulders, and you get G- this Jesus, right? This is picture that we have of Jesus, but, but John goes, I want to reframe uh, your understanding of Jesus who's speaking to these churches, and he begins to go down this description of Jesus in verses 12 through 16. He says, I turned and, and to see the voice that was speaking to me, and I turned and I saw seven golden lampstands. Oh, by the way, I'm just gonna, seven golden lampstands. What are the lampstands? The lampstands that we are told in verse 20 are actually the actual churches, right? Come on, the church is a lampstand. The church is the light of the world. The church is meant to shine Jesus to the world, and the church the church here is, is, is represented as a lampstand. The Bible says um, that you are a city on a hill. You're not supposed to be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. Hide it under a bushel. Come on, church. Hide it under a bushel. No, right? You're a lampstand, and there's seven lampstands. Now watch this. I turned and saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, Where's Jesus right now in this picture? Where's Jesus today? He's walking amongst the churches. He's walking amongst the the lampstands, those that are created by him and designed by him to shine his light into the world. And he says this, I saw him walking in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The long robe is a symbol of royalty. It's a kingly, a, a kingly garment. They would wear long robes. Here's Jesus in all authority. Come on, he's the king of kings and lord of lords, amen? And here's Jesus. This, is, this, isn't, this isn't humble Jesus, meek and mild. This is King Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth. It says that he's clothed with a long robe and, and then he has a sash that he's wearing. The sash is a, is a priestly sash. So he is, watch, all authority king, but also priest, meaning he's come to, to help you touch God, help you understand God. It's really interesting that, that Old Testament priests, one of their main jobs, well, they have a lot of jobs, but an Old Testament priest, one of their jobs was to constantly keep the menorah, the candlestick in the sanctuary to keep it lit to constantly keep it trimmed, to make sure there was constant oil. Oh, oil represents the spirit of God on, on a church and in somebody's life. And, and Jesus was constantly, as, as the high priest, the high priest would constantly keep those candlesticks to make sure they would burn continually. They never went out. And here's Jesus with all authority, dressed as a king, dressed as a priest to keep the church constantly burning. Yeah. Come on, constantly just trimming away the stuff that's burnt out and giving new oil. This is Jesus. It goes on to say that, that his hair is, the hairs of his head were white, like the wool, like snow. This is, this is the ancient of days spoken of in, in Old Testament. This isn't Jesus' first appearance. He was there at the very, very beginning. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, amen? His hair is white as snow. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like bronze. Eyes like flame of fire. Like Scripture talks about fire as, as, a, as judgment, okay? And, and it says that from his eyes, he can see all things. He could judge all things. Nothing is, nothing is hidden from him. Amen, like God, Jesus looks at your life, my life, he looks at the church, he looks at, he looks at politics today, he looks at our world today, he sees all of it. There's nothing hidden from, from his eyes. It says his feet were like burnished bronze. In other words, in, in that day, ancient days, bronze was known as the strongest metal that they could find. It was, it was, it was the most reliable 
metal. It was unbendable, unbreakable. And here is Jesus with his feet going, you can't move me. You can't push me over. I'm, I'm established and I'm, I'm strong and I'm, I'm trustworthy. Stable through all things. Says his voice was like the roar of many waters, powerful, all encompassing. You ever you ever been in a near near a waterfall and try to have a conversation with your friends, like a big old waterfall? There's a hike we used to go on as kids, and, and when you would get down next to the, the river, it was so loud, the rushing of water was so loud that we actually had to come up with hand signals to talk with each other during that part of the hike, because you couldn't hear just and he says, this was the voice that I heard coming from Jesus, all encompassing, all powerful. And in his hands, he says, his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. The seven stars, just touch on that really quick. What are the seven stars? We don't have to guess. He goes on to tell us in verse 20 that the seven stars are the messengers of the church, or the angels of the church. The word messenger actually means, are you guys okay? You hanging with me, all right? The word messenger actually means it's the representative of the church. Some actually think that these are the, the, the representatives of those seven churches or the pastors of those seven churches. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm grateful for is that Jesus is just holding them in his mighty right hand. Amen? Like, God goes, listen, I got, I got the church, I got the leaders of the church, and I'm holding them in my mighty right hand. It's one of the verses God gave us when we came out here to plant. He's like, fear not, out of Isaiah, for I will uphold you by my mighty right hand. Thank you, God, that you hold all things in your hand. Amen? So the seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Isn't that interesting? I love, I love scripture. If you don't understand, like the Revelation is, is written long after like Ephesians. And so you've got, you've got this reference to the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. Well, what does Ephesians say? Ephesians says that the word of God is likened to a sword, able to divide to the point of joint, joint and marrow, soul and spirit. And as he speaks, the word of God comes out like a sword. You ever been in, you ever been in service and the word of God comes? And it's like, oh, oh, is that the sword of the spirit? God just, God just speaking to me, his, his word, and he says his word comes out as a sword. Ephesians says he's a double-edged sword, his word is. And this is his face shone like, like full sun shining in its full strength. Like the glory of the Lord is so magnificent, so glorious, and so great that it's hard to even look at him. You can't, you can't, you can't just keep staring because there's just so much magnificence coming from Jesus. And so I, I say all that as quickly as I can, and we could do a whole message on that. But I say all that so that you'd understand that what we're about to go into, as we hear from Jesus, you gotta understand that you're hearing from glorified Jesus. Like this is Jesus and all his might and all his power and all his authority and all, this is glorified Jesus speaking to the church. It's the one who has the authority to direct and to correct, amen? It's Jesus also who has the power to protect and to build his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you go, like Jesus, like, like gentle Jesus, meek and mild, that's being arrested by the, by the Romans and that's being nailed to the cross. No, Jesus standing there with eyes of flame and feet as bronze and come on, like Jesus standing there with all power and all might. This is the Jesus that is speaking to the churches today. And I love that because if you were to look at John, let's go back, John, on the island of Patmos, you look at John's situation, you'd say, oh man, John, John, you're in trouble, right? John, you're, you're at an end. You're, you're, John, it's, it's just not working out for you. John, you got some problems. John, your situation, everything's against you. Nothing's working out. That's if you were to look at John's situation. But if you were to look at John's Jesus, you go, hey, John, you're gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be all right. See, when you look at Jesus, you realize that no matter what the world throws at us, Jesus is anchored in eternity and has all power to do whatever you need done between now and eternity, amen? Oh, come on, church, I am trying my best up here. Amen? So right from the get-go, you need to understand this, you are dealing, in your life now is Jesus. Now, what I love about this is you read this imagery of Jesus, and I'm not, I don't have time to go into the rest of it, please read this though. The next thing that happens is John sees the image of Jesus this glorified Jesus, and what's he do? It says he falls on his face as though dead. 
He's like, okay, 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 we're done. And you know what it says that happens next? I love this because I want you to hear this. All powerful, almighty, eyes of fire, Jesus says, reaches out with his right hand and touches John's shoulder and says, don't be afraid. Think about that. Like there's an relationship and intimacy and connectedness with the almighty glorified Jesus. He reaches down even as he would to you right now and go, I got you. I got you. And it's this Jesus that begins to speak to John about these seven churches. And he says this in John chapter two, verse one. He says, to the church of Ephesus write, these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Next verse. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. I, I, I want you to see this. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Look at me, everybody. Jesus says, I know something. I know your works. I know your what? I know your works. Jesus, I know what you're doing. Look at me. I've been paying attention, Jesus says, to your, someone say works. Now, the reason I keep having you say works is because I think a lot of people, when it comes to uh, our faith, when it comes to Christianity, we kind of shy away from this conversation about works because we know this. We know we are saved by grace and, and not by works. It's, it's his grace through faith that we are saved. Now, that's true. But when Jesus is looking at the church, what is he looking at? What is he looking for? Some say works. Now watch. You're right. It is grace that saves us and not works. Works are works. You cannot work hard enough to get yourself into heaven. Come on, everybody. You cannot work hard enough to earn a relationship with you. You cannot work. It is grace that we are, by grace we are saved. So I am not saved by my works, but come on. When grace gets a hold of somebody's life, you can't help but work. Amen? Like when grace gets a hold of you, you just want to work. You, you want to do good things. You want to, you want to reach the world. You want to tell people about Jesus. You, you want to serve. You want to give. You, 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 you want to, right? You get to. And so when Jesus is looking down and inspecting the church, he's inspecting, he's inspecting the fruit of the church. How, watch, how impacted by my grace, how impacted by my love and what I've done for them are they? How do I know? by how they have lived, by how they have, have worked. You guys, anybody saved by grace can't wait to get to work. Oh, come on, help me out. So like Jesus says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? Pray to, the, pray to God that he would send what? Workers. The more work each equals the more Work getting done. The more work equals the more harvest. The more work equals the more people coming to know Jesus. And so as we're saved by grace and we get to work by grace, we see the world reached by work being done, prompted by grace. You see, he says, I see and I know your works. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want to see a great harvest. I don't know about you, but I've been so touched by God's grace, by God's goodness, by his mercy toward me that I just want, I, I say it this way, you gave your all for me, God, I want to give my all for you. The Ephesians says, walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. You know what that means? Like, live your life in balance. In other words, if you picture a balance, a, a scale, he has downloaded everything into this side. You're going, what can I give on this side to help equal that out? Maybe God, I'll give you, I'll, I'll tip you every now and then. Maybe, maybe God, every now and then I'll just show up to church here and there. Maybe God, every now and then, no, come on, you with me? After I realize everything he has downloaded in this side of my life, what can I give him but my life? Just all my life, right? And I'm just gonna go all in. Why, you went all in. This is making sense, everybody. So Jesus is looking at the church. He goes, I see your works. I see what you've been up to. I, can I just pause for a second and say, I am grateful for a church that knows how to work. Come on. Like, I am grateful for a church 
I'm grateful for a church that had almost 250 volunteers at Vox making that thing happen for those 800 something kids. I mean, I am grateful for everyone who, who hung out and helped with Vox. I'm grateful, come on, for every single person on our, on our C team right now that just knows how to put in some work. Come, we just thank God for amazing C team right now. Come on, amen. And here's what I know. When Jesus looks down at the church, he's going, what are their works? Well, he's pay, he, he notices it and he pays attention to it. I, I, I'm grateful to be in a, in a church that's like, let's just run. Between now and the day I see Jesus, I'm just gonna let you know if you wanna keep up. Like, I wanna show up winded. I don't wanna give my life to Jesus and be like, hang out. You're gonna hang out. You know, let's have some potlucks and just kind of hang out until we see Jesus. No, I wanna live out what he said. Go! Go into all the world. Hey, between now and the moment I see Jesus face to face, I don't got a lot of time. I don't know how much time it is, but with every moment that I got, I'm gonna go. Come on, I'm just, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I, mean, I, I wanna see a lot of people come to know Jesus. And church, if you're with me, we're, we, we wanna run. We're just starting into everything that he actually has for us, amen? So we're gonna run, we're gonna run, we're gonna run. He says that, he says, I see your works, you're rejecting false teaching. Man, we're gonna stay close to God's word. We're not gonna, let, let, like I said in the very beginning, God's word edits us, we don't edit it. We, we stay close to God's word, we're not gonna put up with false teaching. He says, I also know that you've not grown weary. I'm thankful for a church that's not grown weary. That walks through Sunday mornings when the sound system blows up and keeps on going, right? A church that set up and tear down and gosh, I can't remember how many times, 30, 30 something different venues and all that, I mean, and we're not done. We're gonna go to campuses, we're gonna go, I just, oh, why, because we just wanna reach more people. You with me, church, amen. Come on, we are a, we are a, let's get it done, let's get to work kind of church. Can I have a better amen? Because I need to talk to you. He says, that's great, I see all of that, but I have this one thing against you. Okay, here's what we gotta watch out for. I got this one thing against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've left your first love or the love you had at first. You got all these incredible things going on. Look at me. You're doing all sorts of work and it all looks so good from the outside. I mean, like, that's the, like the, you're going to have that church going. All churches should be like that church. But he says, I, I, I want to talk to you about one thing. You, you've actually left your first love, the love you had at first for Jesus. Uh, do you remember when you first fell in love? If you have fallen in love, you remember when you first fell in love. You remember the smell of her perfume, his cologne. Come on, right? Tatum, Tatum left a sweater at my house and I was like, oh my gosh. Right? You, you remember, you're, you're in love. You know, his touch, her touch. Just, <gasps> I remember Tate and I first held hands. It was just like, oh my gosh. It's like electricity shot through my body and my goodness, like, Right? You remember when he first fell in love? You spent all this time. You, at that season, you're, you're, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. I'll spend however much. And then some. I'll spend time adoring. I'll spend time admiring, listening, pursuing. I mean, you're in love. They're your special somebody, and everybody knows it. Why? Because you won't shut up about it. You won't stop talking about it. It's just, uh, they're on your heart and your mind, your lips all the time. Now, if you're still with that special somebody, let me ask you, how's that going today? Or have things changed? You see, for some of us, it's changed. Oh, come on, Chris. Come on. Come on. You understand, right? Life happens. Kids happen. Things just kind of die out. And soon you're sitting across the table. Here's, 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 here's the Sometimes the, our, our version of love, you know, you fall in love, you get married, and then you kind of put up with each other. You know, and you, you end up someday, you know, looking at each other from across the table like, who are you again, right? Like, and that sadly happens to a lot of people. But how does it happen? How does it happen? They lose their first love. You see, things become routine and routines become ruts. Things become routine and routines become ruts. Come on, church, I want to talk to you. And it can happen with anything. When things are routine, we slip into autopilot 
and we slip into rut and it just kind of, now we're just going through the motions. Do you remember when you first got your driver's license? Come on, come on, anyone, come on. You remember, go back in your mind. Some of you, it's just like a week ago or two. Come on, hold on. Others of you, is like, you can't read. Like when you first got your driver's license, do you remember how thrilling that was? It was like your first like solo drive. You're leaving mom and dad or whatever it is and you're gonna go, like, where am I gonna go? What am I? It didn't even matter. I just drove up into another neighborhood. It's like, I can do this. Right, and it was so exhilarating. Everything was awesome. Like it's just everything about driving was was amazing, right? And now, now you'll get up, drive somewhere, get there, and go. I don't remember driving here. How did I? Come on, if you ever experienced that, like you drive and go, like I, I, that's scary. That is that is dangerous. And you guys, be careful. Like it's, it's one thing that happens when that happens with your car or in your job or with your license, but it's a whole nother thing what happens to your relationship with God. You gotta be careful. The, the church of Ephesus has wandered in this place of ritual and routine and rut. Sure, they had tons of great things going on. It all looked good from the outside. They had a lot of works. Energy's being poured out into so many things. Man, they're showing up to church on time. They're, they're, they're giving. They're, they are serving. They're on a C team. and they, they, They're doing all the things that Jesus told them to do, and they're doing it well, so much so that Jesus congratulates them on all of it. But Jesus, watch everybody, looks past what's being done and looks into the heart that's doing it. Look. He looks past what's being done and he looks into the heart that's doing it. His concern is not simply over what is being done, but why, come on, why it's being done. In the hearts of the Ephesians, they'd lost their first love. They had labor, they even had purity. They were good little Christian boys and girls. But labor, listen to me, is a poor substitute for love. Purity is a poor substitute for passion. Jesus says, what I want is not your sacrifice, is not your work, is not your, what I want primarily is your heart. I want your love. And you gotta guard that. How's it happen in a relationship with Jesus? How do we move to a place, and some of us are there, some of us might be moving there right now, where you begin to lose your love your first love relationship with Jesus. I, I think it happens in the same way that it might happen in some marriages. You know, I, I love doing weddings. It's one of my favorite things to do. In, in, in a wedding, one of the reasons I love doing weddings is because when a couple first goes to get married, they're just, oh, they're just so excited. And there's so much energy and there's so much joy and oh my gosh, and this is the, the moment and it's just so exciting. If it's not, we got problems, right? Like I'm worried about it. Like there's just, there's so much passion. And there's so much emotion. They're looking deep into each other's eyes, right? And here's the thing. And in that moment, I know that girl is the center of that man's passion. I'm gonna focus on the guys because I am a guy, I'm allowed to pick on guys, right? So I know in that moment that that girl is the center of that man's passion. She's his everything. And if I've done the premarital counseling, I've made sure of it, right? Like she is his everything. And they go driving off into the sunset. And here's what happens. Is that sometimes something begins to distract that love and that devotion. So be it a hobby or a job, it, it, it doesn't have to be another person, but it can. Something else begins to distract. Come on, distract. Please walk through this in your relationship with God. I gotta, you gotta make the connection. Something begins to distract your passion and devotion. Something else starts getting the love and devotion that was supposed to be for her. And now all of a sudden, it's her and. Her and the gym. Come on, it's her and my money. It's, it's her and my job. It's, 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 it's all about you, girl, but, it, but it's, it's, also about, it's also about the boys. I gotta have, I gotta have my, my guys, gotta have my guys with me. I gotta have my guy time. I gotta have, it's, it's about you and my golfing. It's about you and my, come on, it's about you and, you and, you and. And it can start so, it starts so just innocent maybe. Oh yeah, they need their, they need their guy time or they, oh, they need the job. I understand you gotta work your way up. But now we have a, we have a her and, a her and situation. 
Something else starts getting the love and devotion that's supposed to be directed only to her and she can feel it. So what happens, and I've I've walked with couples through this, what happens is she actually goes to him and says, hey, I kind of feel it. I kind of feel like I'm taking second seat. I, I kind of feel like I'm being pushed to the back. And what happens is sometimes is it, instead of him confessing it and turning to her, he decides to throw himself deeper, like I can't handle I, I, deeper into his stuff, deeper into all the distractions and all the other things that, that have become other loves in his life. See, they allow something else, he allows something else to take the place of that passion and devotion and everything now becomes dull and boring and lifeless. She just goes, well, okay, I guess this is our relationship, not fighting for this anymore. He's like, I'm not fighting for this anymore. And now all of a sudden they wake up across the table from each other, who are you? Where's that spark? The first thing I always do in premarital counseling, I go, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. I know we're fighting about a billion things, but do you remember the days when you were walking on the beach together hand in hand and you actually wanted to get married? Do you remember that? Okay, good. Let's figure out what the heck happened between that moment and the moment right right now. Where, Where did it go like this? And almost always there is this shifting of a passion. Oh, this got hard. And so I started giving myself into other things, just distracting myself. Some say distracting. Distracting. Luke chapter 16, verse 13 says this. It says, no one can serve two masters. Some say two masters. No one can serve two masters. For you'll hate one and love the other, to be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What is he saying? Put anything, you put money there, because why? He knew that we would love money a lot. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You can't have two Supremes. You cannot have, listen to me, everybody. You are not allowed to have, it's impossible to have two master passions. Are you tracking with me, church? It's impossible. Why? He goes on to say, because you're going to love one and despise the other. That's scripture. It's what I was explaining to you in a marriage. You know, loving one over the other. So Jesus says, I am not going to be in this place where I'm fighting for, for, you know, preeminence in your life. He says, I'm Lord of all or not at all. And what happens sometimes is we allow other things to become passions, to become, become loves. Now watch this. It's okay to have other things. Please hear me. Some people misquote uh, the Bible and say that money is the root of all evil. Does the Bible say, don't answer loud because I don't want to embarrass you, but does the Bible say that money is the root of all evil? No, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. The what? The love. When you fall in love with money, oh, we got some issues. Why? Because you're not supposed to love money. You're supposed to love Jesus and then you realize, oh, he gives me money and I give it back to him and I, get, I just use money, not love money. I love Jesus. It's okay to have other things. Man, it's okay to have hobbies and to have stuff. It's okay to have a nice house and have cars, but I don't love it. I love Jesus. See, it's the love of other things. The issue is not having it, it's loving it. When the love and the adoration and devotion to those things usurps your love and adoration and devotion to Jesus, you're in trouble. Our love and adoration and devotion is transferred from him and onto all these other things that are not worthy. They're getting more from me than Jesus does. My work gets more from me. My money gets more from me. I'm more into these things. Come on, I'm just gonna poke a little. More into these things than I am into just a relationship with Jesus. So I'm, I'm, more, into my, I'm more into my opinions than just Jesus. I'm more into my politics than Jesus. I'm more into my political party, come on, than, than just Jesus. Now watch, let me talk to, like, I'll talk to my pastor friends and churches, to myself, right? You get more into what we're building as a church, I'm more into the ministry. I'm more into what I do. I'm more into, no, 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 careful. I cannot fall more in love with this, come on, you following me, than I am in love with Jesus. I'm just in love with Jesus and this is an outflowing of my love. But sometimes, watch, what can happen is, man, we love, it's fun getting help here, utilizing our gifts. It's fun, to, it's just fun. And pretty soon we're just, just loving what we do 
but not loving the one we do it for. Come on, are you seeing this? And we have to, watch, we have to guard it. Come on, why are you doing what you do? Jesus sees that motive. He sees that. And I know motives, is a, it's a hard thing to get your, your finger on sometimes. Like, I don't even know why I do that. But at the end of the day, you've got to fall in love with Jesus and let everything else just flow out of that. Because if something doesn't change, he goes on to say, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. Like if you just about, if you're just doing work, 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 and there's no love, it's not motivated by love. He says, soon, right now you're in my presence and right now it's all working out, but I'm just going to, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to remove your candlestick from its place. Pretty soon that just that, that anointing is, is not there any longer. Pretty, pretty soon it just kind of feels like, like where's Jesus in, in all of this? You start to sense it's just not a part as much as he was. And you end up religious and not spiritual. Religious. Come on, we're not a religious church. I don't want to become a religious church. That's just doing a bunch of stuff because we're supposed to do a bunch of stuff. We are a spiritual church, a living church that does what we do because we're in love with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He gave his all for me. And my motivation is simply that. I want to give my all back to him. As the worship team comes up, Dustin, as you come up and help me close, he gives you three things that you can do if you've lost your love for Jesus or if if things have shifted in your life. (laughs) If that even works, Dustin. If not, you can just hum for me a little bit, all right, in the background. (laughs) He says this, if we've lost our first love, he tells us to remember from where you've fallen, repent, and do what you did before. Remember from where you've fallen, repent, and do what you did from before. So come on, let me invite you into this moment right here. Remember from where you've fallen. Like, come on. Remember what you've lost. Remember when you couldn't wait to get to church instead of like, oh, we gotta go to church again. Remember when it's like, is it Sunday yet? Do you remember those days? Man, I pray that's for you every single Sunday. Is it Sunday yet? Is it, I, I want this to be a church you can't wait to get to. Why? Because you've been, we're doing our best to love Jesus and you love Jesus. Come on, let's all just get together and, and worship and love and serve Jesus. I can't wait. Remember those days. Remember when you couldn't wait to spend time in worship and time in his word. Remember when, when you had an opportunity to, to be, be on ox in your car. Come on. And you were like, oh, we're going to do some worship. Why? Because I just love worship. I love worship. I just want to worship. Remember those days. Bring yourself back. Remember when you would, you would journal the things he's speaking to you. Remember when you were so excited to tell others about Jesus. Remember you, when you, you tried to work Jesus into every conversation you were having with people why because you were just so in love with Jesus when you're in love with somebody you, you just tell everybody and you can't help it I remember do you remember remember what that was like Jesus you need to I need I need you to go back there I think it's also a remembering of the things that were so clear at first that sometimes we lose track of like remember how undeserving you knew you were and yet how gracious and merciful and loving he is. I think when you first came to know Jesus, you were just like, oh my gosh, God, I've got nothing. And you are everything. Are you kidding me? You did what for me? I could be forgiven. I could be washed. I could be cleansed. And you were just like all in. Why? Because it was just, you knew that you were nothing without him. And then if you're not careful, you move on. And you're like, well, I'm kind of, I kind of got this now. No, you don't. Come on, the day I gave my life to Jesus, I realized I was in desperate need of his, just a man in desperate need of his mercy and his grace and his healing and his provision. I am in desperate need of forgiveness. I, that, when I gave my life to Jesus, I'm just like in tears all in, God, I, I need you, right? Guess how I woke up this morning? God, I need you. And I want to wake up like that every single day. Paul the Apostle, the beginning of his ministry, he said, I'm I'm the least of the saints. Right? Like, all the saints, I'm the least. 
as he went on in his ministry and he grew, you know what he said at the end of his, end of his ministry? I am the chief of all sinners. Wait, Paul, you've been growing in the Lord and you got worse? No, he said, I've just realized the more I've walked with Jesus, the more I need Jesus, right? I'm just, I'm all in. You see, he says, you got to remember, you got to remember the things that were so clear to you at, at, at first. And when you remember, he says, you need to repent. Like, just confess it. God, forgive me. Isaiah goes before the Lord in Isaiah chapter six and, and he says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. Like I'm just broken before. He saw the Lord high and lifted up and his response was, woe is me. I think you just need a fresh vision of who God is and just kind of this repentance of God, woe is me. I'm, I'm broken and I'm frail. I'm gonna call my sin what it is, it's sin. First Chronicles 7, 14 uh, tells us, you've heard me talk about this all, all the time. Actually, the whole series on this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. I was thinking to myself is, is what if the, the, the sin that they were in that was actually not humbling themselves and praying and seeking his face? Like the problem was that they didn't stay in that place. Humble, praying, seeking his, some say face, not just hand. God, would your hand move here? Would your hand do that? And God, could you provide? And God, could you? He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I want you to seek my face. That's different, right? That's relationship. He said, you need to get back there. Repent. Remember, repent. And then he said, just repeat. Just do what you did at first. Just go back. Someone say, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do the same works you did before. When you sang with all your heart, not because everybody else was, or everybody else wasn't. You didn't, listen, you didn't walk into a room and judge your response to Jesus based on, well, what's everybody else doing? You, you judged your response in worship based on what has he done? What does he ask for? He tells me to enter his courts with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise to clap your hands, all you people, to shout unto the Lord the voice of triumph. I'm gonna come in based on that. Because I wanna go all in. Repeat, 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 repeat. When you gave, not out of compulsion or being pushed, but the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. I'm just so happy to be a part of what he's doing in the church. I'm so happy to worship him with what he's, what he's given me. It's not like, oh, it's like, oh no. God, please, I, come on, you give me 100%? You're asking for 10? Like, are you kidding me? Like, let's go. You promised to provide for me when I, all right, let's live in that. See, I'm not, I'm not being pushed. I'm, I'm, I'm joyful. Repeat those things. Remember when you served out of, out, of, out of obligation, but out of joy? Listen to me. I never want anyone here feeling like you gotta. Come on. I gotta go to church. Please don't feel like I, I mean, if it's what's driving you right now, great. I'm glad you're here, but I gotta get you out of the gotta and into the I get to, okay? I don't wanna, I gotta serve. I guess I gotta serve on a team. I guess I gotta go to life track and figure out, I guess I gotta, because they tell me that I, that I gotta. No, don't, don't gotta anything. I, I, I want, it's that get to attitude around here. Why? Because we keep ourselves close to Jesus. And when you're close to Jesus, you can't help but respond to Jesus. You serve out of joy, amen? Out of joy, out of joy. So. Jesus speaking to the church says there's a lot of churches like this. Got a lot of great works, but they've lost their love. May we never lose our love. It starts with the individual, okay? And you know why we love? Why do we love? Because he first loved us. I love why? Because you, you first loved me. I found God. No, you didn't. He been haunting you down your whole life. You know what You know what your job is? You just stop running and let him love on you. And come on, I'm just convinced of this. If right now what your biggest response to this whole thing is, is some of you need to just go get along with God, get along with Jesus again. Let him love on you. 
Let him remind you how precious you are to him. Let him re- remind you what, what he's done for you. Re- let him remind you that he's for you and not against, against you. Let him remind you that if he is for you, nothing can be against you. Let, let him remind you of all of his promises. Let him, come on, he's gonna love you. He's gonna first love you, first love you. And then what'll happen is your, respo- your heart will respond to his love and I will love because he first loved me. I gotta sit in that spot where I realize how much he loves me, how much he loves me. Oh, he loves me so He loves you so much that while we are yet sinners, he gave his life for you. And some of you today, you've yet to respond to that, that initial move from God to give his life on the cross for you. And some of you, you need to make your first step today and your response to this message to just simply be a response to his first move and giving his life for you on the cross. So listen to me, if you're in here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus before we leave this place, we do it right now. I wanna give you an opportunity to get your life right with God, to be forgiven of your sins, washed and cleansed, why? Because he gave his life for that to happen in your life. And some of you need, come on, to step, to let him love on you in a way where you finally fall in love with him. And so start right here, right now. Come, would you pray with me? God, we thank you that, that you love us so much. It's unfathomable to us, God, that you would love us in the midst of us and all the usness and all that we do. But God, you just do. You love us. You love us so much that Jesus, you came and gave your life on the cross so that we could be forgiven. Listen, my friends, those of you who are in here right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to understand. You've never, if you've never surrendered to him, you need to understand that the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, we've gone our own way, we've done our own thing. The wages of that is, is death. It's, it's a separation from God in the here and now and one that'll last for all eternity if it's not dealt with in the here and now. Some of you are separated from God right now and God wants to deal with that separation today and bring you close. Here's how he loved on you. He gave his life on the cross and on that cross, he absorbed everything that you deserve for your sin into himself. He absorbed it in himself. He paid the price for what you deserve. He gave his life. And then it tells us that Jesus rose again, defeating death in the grave and hell so he could lead you into life. What's your role? Just repent, turn around. Repent just means turn around, change your mind. Stop running from God, choose instead to run to God. The one you are running to is one who loves you, who wants to forgive you, wants to wash you, cleanse you, anchor you in eternity and give you life and life more abundantly. And friend, if that is you, come on, I wanna lead you in a word of prayer of just stepping into everything that he has for you. Prayer is simply talking to God. Come on, I'll give you the words. Repeat in prayer after me. And Jesus right now is gonna change your life forever. So what you say, say, God, I thank you that you love me right where I am, but I know that you've got more for me. And so today I choose to surrender my life to you. I ask that you would forgive me of all my sins and you would cleanse me. I thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross on my behalf so that I can be forgiven. But I thank you for rising again from the grave to lead me into life. God, would you fill me with your spirit and help me to walk with you? all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone agreed together and said a good hearty. Come on, church. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Citizens Church. It's our prayer that through this message, God would impact and inspire your life. If you have any questions for us or would like to let us know how God is using these messages in your life, please let us know by sending an email to connect at citizenschurch.org. Also, If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online and help in seeing more lives changed through the work here at Citizens Church. Thank you so much for joining us.